0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Mother's Day
1: looks a lot different this year.
2: (sighs) Mommy needs a quarantine.
1: And our moms may be spending a lot of time with their kids right now. A lot. Like, so, so much time. Yeah. And even though they love their kids to the moon and back, Mommy, where are you going? Sometimes moms need a little alone time. Mommy! You know, to recharge. Go to
0: want the, sun.
1: Lie in the sun. Mommy! But no matter what's happening in the world, their favorite way to spend time is with their family.
2: But now my only when is now and my only where is when I'm
1: by your side. In good times in hard times.
0: Mom! Hi. You're breaking out
1: in uncertain times. Thank you, Mom, for making time for us every single day.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I ask that you would watch over us as we go to bed and rest, that you would speak to us in Bible stories and speak to us in
0: Good morning and welcome to worship this morning. Glad that you have joined with us in the study of God's Word today. It's Mother's Day. It's a day that we honor and we celebrate women who gave us life. And for many of us, our mothers are larger than life. For my brothers Ronnie and Bill and David and my sister Mary Ann, and for myself, our mother, though very precious to us than any other, was much like most women who long for a loving family. She's been gone from us now for 35 years as of last April the 24th. She would have been 93 this coming July if cancer hadn't taken her when she was 58 years old. We loved her then. We love her now. But we will see her again very soon. The women who aspire to motherhood are diverse as the stars of the heavens. They come in all shapes and sizes and colors. They come from distinct backgrounds and traditions and experiences. They develop different attitudes and philosophies of motherhood. They're often much like other women, though, at heart, they have the same prospects. They have the same virtues and flaws. They feel the same joys and sorrows. They know the same pride and heartache. And they experience the same blessings and the disappointments of mothers all across the country, all across our world. When we think of biblical motherhood for honorable and virtuous women, we can list such individuals as Eve, the first mother, and the one who gave birth to Cain and Abel and Seth. We think of women like Sarah, the mother uh, who gave birth to Isaac, the first son of promise that would eventually lead to the Messiah. We think of women like Hannah, the mother of Samuel, a humble woman who prayed that God would bless her with a child because she was barren. Then there's Naomi, a mother-in-law to Ruth and Orpah, a woman of virtue. Even though a woman who experienced great sorrow in her life, she was a woman who was humble and a woman who uh, sought to do the best that she could for her daughters-in-law. The widow of Zarephath, we do not have her name, but we do have her story. She was a mother who sacrificed to provide for her child even in the face of death. Paul speaks of Lois, the mother of Eunice, and grandmother of Timothy. Both Lois and Eunice were women of faith, and they gave their lives to training up this young man to become a servant of the Lord God. But then, of course, there is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was also the mother of James and Joseph and Jude and Simeon. And she also gave birth to several daughters that we do not have their names of in Scripture. But Mary seems to rise uh, in the minds and hearts of people as being the epitome of motherhood. And that's not uh, without several reasons that, that uh, support uh, that admiration and that honor that we have for her in our lives. Mary loved God, and she wanted to serve the Lord with all of her heart. But she was a poor girl. She lived in an insignificant town, in a despised part of the country of Israel. She came from a humble family, and she had little expectations that her life would be any different than any other girl in Nazareth, any other girl in Galilee. One day, the angel of the Lord came to visit Mary. And Gabriel told her that she was chosen by God and favored by God to be the mother of his son. Now despite her own fear, she exhibited great courage and character. Her response to Gabriel was that, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. Mary exhibited a selfless virtue during the earthly life of Jesus. And all throughout his ministry, she uh, exemplified a mother that uh, loved her son, encouraged him, supported him, prayed for him wept for him, believed in him, and served him as her Lord and Savior. Someone said that Mary was a person of discipleship and faith and was the first true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such devotion to her child is not extraordinary. It is really characteristic of any and every loving mother who cherishes the precious gift of God uh, in a child that he permits her to love and to care for. Today, I want to review those characteristics of Mary that model what God desires in every mother's heart and life. And so I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 26 through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. "...to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, "'Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you.'" But she was greatly troubled at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary.'" For you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing Will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed." For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of the heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away... The rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the Word of God. We ask his blessing upon the reading and the study of his Word together. There are a number of characteristics uh, and attitudes about Mary that uh, are contained in this passage and in other passages of Scripture that I want to emphasize this morning in light of the fact that this is Mother's Day. And we want to focus our attention upon those virtues, those characteristics that God desires uh, that mothers should have. First of all, uh, I want us to note that Mary was a common woman. Mary was a common woman. We know nothing of her early life. We do have the name of her father. His name was Hele, or Eli, as recorded in Luke's genealogy, Luke chapter 3. We don't have her mother's name recorded in scripture, but tradition tells us that her mother's name was Anna. We do know that Mary was of the bloodline of King David through Nathan, the third son of King David through his wife Bathsheba. It is... Quite possible that Mary was the cousin to Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the baptizer. And that would make Jesus and John cousins. But apart from this... All we have about Mary is given to us, beginning at the birth narratives, and then progressing on through the life of Jesus. There's nothing about her in the Old Testament, there's nothing further about her in the New Testament. But what we can say from the study of uh, the Gospels, that Mary was unremarkable in her life. Her life was an unremarkable life. She lived in the contemptuous town of Nazareth. She lived in the equally despised region of Galilee. She was a child in the home of a poor working class family. By and large, the testimony of Scripture regarding Mary's early life is that she was just an average, normal teenager when Gabriel appeared to her. How old was Mary at the time when Gabriel spoke to her about God's choosing her to be the mother of his son? We are told from the rabbis uh, of the Old Testament that young girls uh, were betrothed to uh, a man when they were about 12 to 13 years old, just before the time of puberty. Uh, Mothers and fathers would arrange uh, the marriage of their daughter with uh, the parents of uh, a male prospect, usually in the same community, and they were uh, then bound by a legal contract. They were betrothed, which is um, a relationship that is much stronger than our modern-day engagement. Usually, the betrothal would last about a year. And during that year, the young girl would make preparations for marriage and for motherhood. The young man would make preparations uh, for a home uh, where his family would live. The young girl would also be subject to uh, examinations for purity. She would also be in training... Uh, by her own mother or by other women of the community uh, to be a uh, faithful and an honorable wife and a loyal uh, and loving mother. So, most likely, Mary was 12 or 13 years old when the angel Gabriel spoke to her. She was already betrothed to Joseph. And I am sure, like most young girls, she had dreams of being married, of starting her own family, of raising her children, and of taking care of her household. No doubt, young Mary had some fears of what would lay ahead for her in life. She also had some wonder about her future prospects. And maybe even some apprehensions of her abilities to be a good wife and a good mother. So these were the typical thoughts and attitudes and longings and desires of a young girl in ancient Israel. In the days of the prophets and then after the prophets in the days of... Of Jesus. Into this normal, average, young life came an unexpected visitor, an angel from the Lord named Gabriel. And he gave to her the news that God had chosen her and God had extended grace to her so that she would become the mother of his son, the promised Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ. What would you have done had you been in Mary's sandals? How would you have felt when an unexpected stranger came knocking on your door and gave you such news that you would become the mother of, of the Son of God, that God had extended such grace to you, and you had found such favor in God's eyes that he would select you for this high and honorable task. I'm sure for most young women, especially in their early teens or even mid-teens, There would be some kind of fear in the thought, me carrying the child of God, raising the long-awaited Messiah, me being responsible for the nurturing of the Son of God. The information, the prospects, I'm sure, would be overwhelming to us. And as the text tells us, that Mary was overwhelmed troubled in her heart uh, over the news not that she didn't believe what the angel was telling her but she was disturbed in her spirit at the wonder of it all why me she was not like Zacharias who questioned the will of God she didn't ask why me She simply wondered as to how all of this would take place in her life. She remembered that Gabriel had said to her that her cousin, Elizabeth, was also pregnant. And so what did Mary do? She took a trip. She went to the hill country of Judea, quite possibly the town of Hebron, where her cousin Elizabeth lived. Now all of these things are things that regular people do. And Mary is no different than most other young girls, young ladies, young women. Her response to the angel Gabriel leads me to believe that she was a normal person. She was a normal young lady with normal prospects, normal aspirations in her life. She was a practical young girl. She thought about what was being told to her and she examined her own heart and her own mind and wondered how God would do such a thing in her life and how she could be the recipient of such grace. But these things Also, lead me to believe that Mary, second of all, was a humble woman. She was not just a common young girl, but she was also a humble young woman. She believed the Word of God. Mary didn't get a big head or act like a prima donna after this news had come to her. Again, she questioned how all of this could happen. Why? Uh, How this could come about in her life? Because she was a virgin. She did not know a man sexually. Gabriel said to her in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. She wondered how all of this could transpire. And the angel Gabriel gave her the information as to how God would perform this miraculous thing in her life. And after the explanation was given to her, she responded to the angel Gabriel in verse 38. Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. In other words... Mary said to the angel Gabriel and then to the Lord God through Gabriel, Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. She believed the word of God. And I have to give kudos... To her father and to her mother, who raised her to be a young lady whose heart and mind were filled with the knowledge of the Lord. This did come out of left field, but it was still within the ballpark. She knew who God was, she recognized God, and she would give respect to the Lord God for what he was about to do in her life. She responded. The Lord with obedience. Now, no doubt, when you read the text again in her response not only to the angel Gabriel but also to her cousin Elizabeth, there is no doubt in my mind that Mary loved the Lord her God. She lived a pure life, not a sinless life, but a pure life. And even though she was poor, she found ways to learn the Word of God. Much of it came from her father and her mother in the home. Obviously, she was familiar with Hannah's prayer spoken over a thousand years before. And we find that prayer recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And when you look at Hannah's prayer... In First Samuel chapter 2, you'll realize how much the Magnificat of Mary parallels the words of her ancient ancestor. Hannah said in her prayer to the Lord God, my heart exalts the Lord. My horn, that is my strength and my power, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more, so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of, my, out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn Of his anointed. This is not only a prayer of praise, but it is also a prophetic word that down the course of history, God would raise up his anointed who would perform all of these things that she spoke of to the Lord in her prayer of praise. Mary refers to herself as blessed. And the word in the Hebrew means to be honored. She refers to herself as being blessed among women. It's the same term that Deborah used of Jael in Judges chapter 5 and verse 24. Mary was not only a common young girl, she was a humble young maiden. And that word, humbleness, akin to the word meekness, it means strength that is under control. So despite Mary's status as being highly favored by God, there's no record that Mary began to spout out orders to her dad or to her mom. There is no record of her acting haughtily or bragging among her friends about her exalted state before God. We never read of Mary flying off the handle or having angry outbursts at other individuals. In Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51, when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to worship and to uh, observe the Passover. And remember, Jesus was 12 years old at the time. When they left the celebration time in the caravan going back to Nazareth, Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem without their knowledge. He didn't ask for permission. He didn't tell them what he desired to do. He just stayed behind as the family went on. Three days later, Mary and Joseph realized uh, that Jesus was not with them and had returned to Jerusalem to find him. And when they did find Jesus, he was in the temple area asking questions of the rabbis, listening to them as they expounded the word of God. And they were amazed at the knowledge that the young Jesus had. But when Mary approached her son to discipline him, and she did discipline him, but she did not go into a tirade. She didn't scold him, she didn't berate him, she didn't threaten him. She simply expressed her disappointment that Jesus would have stayed behind without notifying her or Joseph of his intentions to remain in Jerusalem. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus began his ministry. Now he's age 30. And he begins his ministry by performing a miracle in Cana of Galilee. It was a wedding feast. And Jesus and some of his disciples went to this wedding feast. And Mary, his mother, was there at the wedding feast. She was kind of um, serving as a wedding coordinator, if you will. During the course of the week's festivities, the uh, host to the wedding had run out of wine. And so Mary comes to Jesus and she tells him that uh, the wine has been depleted expecting i believe in her heart that jesus would perform a miracle uh, in response to the need her his response to her i'm sure was not what she expected jesus said woman what does that have to do with us my hour has not yet come i am sure that Mary didn't expect that response, but in the face of that response, she didn't get her feathers ruffled. She didn't march off in a huff. She didn't make a scene by scolding Jesus for talking to her that way. She didn't fly into his face and say, Well, after all, I am your mother. She calmly told the servants to do as Jesus asked. Mary was a humble woman. She submitted to the authority and the responsibility of Joseph in the home. She submitted to the authority and to the leadership of her son Jesus in his ministry. She was humble. She was meek before the Lord and before others. She was the model of a godly woman wife, and mother. And I would encourage our young ladies today with the responsibility of rearing children, and to our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers because we have influence over the young ones in our families. I would encourage you to follow the model of Mary and to also listen to the words of the Apostle Peter as he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. Wives, be submissive, that means to be subject, to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. And Peter is going to express, he's going to explain what that behavior of godly womanhood should be in the home. That they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, such as the braiding of the hair and the wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is, the pre- which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear." These are the qualities, these are the attitudes, these are the characteristics that the Lord looks for in a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother and grandmother. Elizabeth Elliot says of Mary, quote, she was strong enough and holy enough to recognize her place under God thoughts of what people would say, what Joseph, her fiancé, would say, or how she would ever convince them that she had not been unfaithful were instantly set aside, End quote. Mary was a common young lady, but Mary was also a humble young maiden. Thirdly, Mary was a thoughtful mother, Mary was a thoughtful mother. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, the scripture tells us But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She kept all of the things that the angel Gabriel had said, and she pondered those things in her heart. Now, the word kept means to keep closely within, it means to not forget. She remembered the words of the angel to her. And she pondered those things. Again, the word means to place or casting together for comparison. It means to weigh them over in one's mind. In other words, Mary remembered all that the angel of Gabriel had said to her, and she kept rehearsing those things in her heart, in her mind, trying to come to an understanding of what these wonders really meant in her life. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51... The scripture says, then he, speaking of Jesus, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. This is after Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple speaking to the doctors of the law when he stayed behind after Passover was over. His response to her, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Certainly not a response she was expecting from her son Jesus. But the scripture tells us as they were going home, Mary kept these things in her heart. It's a different word here. The word kept is the same in English, but it's a different word in the Greek. Here, it means to keep thoroughly, not just to ponder, but to also affirm. She kept the words of the angel Gabriel and wondered what all those things meant. But in her response... To the words of Jesus, she kept his words in her heart and compared those words, affirming that those words were true to all that she had heard from Gabriel and all that she had heard from Elizabeth and all that she had seen in the life of her young boy as he was growing up. Mary was a thoughtful mother. She thought deeply about things concerning her child. She treasured those things in her heart even when she didn't understand them. She would go over each detail. The words of Gabriel, the words of Elizabeth, the words of other individuals, the words of the shepherds on the night that... Jesus was born the words of her 12 year old son as he responded to her in the temple she compared the sayings with the facts that she had heard and she had seen she brooded over them like a loving mother would with a child that she dearly loves And I would encourage the same thing with our young mothers and with our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers as we watch our children grow as they develop, that we would see the hand of God in their young lives, that we would take note of their attitudes, that we would take note of the display of their character in their actions, and that we would respond to them as God would have us to respond to them, to be a loving parent, to be a concerned parent, to be one that cherishes the life and the development of the life of the child that God has blessed us with. Mary treasured these things up in her memory. Every new circumstance she weighed Every new revelation in her son's life, she compared with those that had already taken place. She began to realize and to come to a complete understanding concerning the nature and the mission of her son, Jesus. What loving and caring mother wouldn't do that for her own child? Mary was a common girl. She was a humble young maiden. She was a thoughtful mother. But she was also a faithful woman. She was a faithful daughter to her parents in the home. She was a faithful wife to Joseph in all that he was led to do by the word and by the will of the Lord God. She was a faithful mother. To love, to nurture, and to raise her son, knowing that he was God's son. Now, how do we know that? Because Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 40, that the child, speaking of Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And I believe that was due, in large part, to Mary, his mother. I don't know, but in thinking about Mary and her position, thinking about all of these things that the Lord had revealed to her, all that was going to happen to her, all that did happen to her, it must have seemed to her as a daunting task. What mother wouldn't second-guess herself? What mother would think twice or three or four times about certain decisions that she would make. What mother wouldn't question about discipline and the use of time and the use of resources? We do those things in our own lives today, and we're just common people, like Mary was a common person. And there are times that we second-guess ourselves in the raising of our children. There are times that we think long and hard about decisions that we make because we know that what we do will affect the children that we've been blessed with. Sometimes we struggle with discipline and with disciplining our children. Sometimes we struggle with the use of time and with resources. Mary's no different than us. We are no different than Mary. But the thing that I would encourage us to remember is that Mary was faithful to God, she was not in this thing alone. She didn't have to face life with the Son of God by herself. She had already proven herself to be one very familiar with the Word of God. And I believe she continued to study and to meditate on the Word of the Lord. Certainly, the prospects of being the mother of the Messiah and then the reality of that coming to pass took her to her knees, not occasionally, but quite often in prayer, that God would give her guidance. And I believe that God did give her guidance Not only through his word, not only through the counsel of godly women, but also through the presence of his Holy Spirit. We're not left without resources in our home life. The problem is we don't make good use of the resources that we've been blessed with. And then, fifthly, Mary was a real mother. Mary was a real mother. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for many of us, Mary looms large in our mind. And in our hearts. Sometimes we think of Mary as being like, you know, supernatural. She's like a wonder woman as the mother of Jesus. She has, she's a cut above. Uh, her status among women and certainly among mothers is, is far, far above any and all of us. But Mary was human, just like all women who aspire. To motherhood. She faced moments of great joy along with occasions of fear and despair and sorrow. She was not immune from things like morning sickness as she was carrying the infant Christ in her womb. I'm sure she felt the movement and the kicks from the unborn child. And she delighted over those movements like most mothers do. Knowing that their child is vibrant, their child is alive. And it's a reminder of the great wonder that God bestows upon all women whom God permits to bear children. I'm sure that Mary had backaches. From carrying the extra weight. I'm sure she had headaches. And you may very well say, well, how do you know she had headaches? Well, she was married after all. So I'm sure she had headaches. There were years of caring for Jesus as an infant, as a toddler, as a boy. As a young teenager, working through the times of his development, the periods of growth, not only in his physical body, but also in his mind, as his mind developed, in his spirit, as his spirit developed, as he was going through puberty. And then beyond puberty into young adulthood. As he learned his father's trade as a carpenter in the home. As he met with people out in the community. As he interacted with other young boys and young girls. Mary was a real mother. And she experienced... Some of the doubts and some of the fears that mothers face when their children go through the stages of life. How they're going to respond to those stages. How mom is going to be able to address certain issues that those various stages bring into the life of her child. Answering the questions. Trying to reason with the child in their responses to instruction. She was a real mother. But one of the things I believe that sets her apart from all the rest was the great joy and yet the great sorrow that she had as the mother of our Savior. The great joy that she had in knowing that Jesus was her child. And yet, the great sorrow that she had because she realized that He would never be hers because He was the Messiah and the Son of God endowed with a mission and a ministry. In Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through the the aged servant of the Lord Simeon as Mary brought Jesus to the time of dedication as an infant brought him to the temple Simeon responded to Mary by saying this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed I'm sure that arrested her attention, a sign to be opposed, which means that people will not receive him well, that they would stand against him. But then Simeon goes on and says, a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I'm sure throughout her life, Mary remembered these words. She pondered them in her heart. She guarded them within the depths of her mind and spirit. She thought of them often. And I'm sure she wept over those words, as many mothers would do if Jesus were their child. When the day came, for her son's ministry to be fulfilled. That sword did pierce her heart. As she watched him. Be humiliated. By the preachers and by the teachers that she sat under. In Sabbath school and in worship. That sword pierced her heart. As they humiliated him. As they mocked him as they turned him over to the Romans to be beaten and then crucified. What mother could bear this kind of mockery, this kind of treatment? Mary did. She stood at the cross in support of her son. Not fully understanding it all, but accepting it as God's will for his life and for her life. Above everything else, what gave Mary all that was sufficient to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, that could raise him as the Messiah of Israel and truly the Son of God, was the fact that Mary was saved. And that's my sixth and final point. Mary was a true believer in the true and living God. She knew the Lord from the teachings of her father and mother, from the word of God that was taught to her in Sabbath school and in worship. She acknowledged that she was sinful and in need of a Savior by her own testimony in her Magnificat. The first recorded words in meeting her cousin Elizabeth were reverent words of praise and adoration to the Lord God. She said to her cousin, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The first words of the angel Gabriel to Mary was the word rejoice. And in her Magnificat, her song of praise, she did exactly that. And yet she confessed that she was blessed throughout all generations. I want us to look again at verses 46 through 55 in Luke chapter 1. This is that great song of Mary. She said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of the bond slave. For behold, from this time on for all generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of the heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He's exalted those who were humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our father, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. She knew the Lord. She knew the Lord through his word. She knew the Lord through the promises that he had made to his people. She knew the Lord through the record of the experiences that God had with his people down through the ages. And after Jesus was crucified... And the foundation of salvation had been opened up. Her faith in God's Son as her Savior sealed forever. Her fellowship with the Lord God in glory. After His resurrection and His ascension, Mary waited with the other disciples and with the other women in the upper room fasting, and praying until the Holy Spirit came upon them all. Her presence with them tells us that she was a mother who had come to full faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then for the rest of her life, we have very little information after the day of Pentecost. But I believe that she would not be pushed to the sidelines. I believe that she would not fade into oblivion. I believe that Mary became an integral part of the early church. That she continued to serve the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of her life. She became a witness to Luke who wrote down the record of the early life of Jesus in his gospel, she became a blessing to other women, to other mothers, of what God desires in each of us who are tasked with the joy of raising those whom God blesses us with as our children. Such was the life of Mary the mother of of Jesus. And so I want to encourage our young mothers and our grandmothers and our great grandmothers that the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ upon your life is to be like Mary, his mother. You have influence over the little ones in your charge. You have a responsibility to nurture them in the wisdom and in the admonition of the Lord. You are just like Mary, for Mary was just like you a common woman, a common woman among men, but an uncommon woman with God, a humble young lady. Before the Lord, she submitted to his authority, to his will, and to his purpose for her life as a wife and as a mother. Thoughtful. Hearing the voice of the Lord in your heart regarding your children and your grandchildren. Faithful to your husband, to your children, to your God. And his calling in your life, to your children to be a caring and a loving mother, to be real, to be real in your home, to be real to your spouse, to be real to your children and grandchildren. That means to be genuine, to be true to who you are and to whom the Lord is in you. But above all, to be saved. To know the Lord Jesus Christ in your own heart and in your own mind, in your own life, and to let the Lord Jesus Christ be seen in you by your husband, by your children, by your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Your faith will not save your children or your grandchildren. Faith is not transferable. Salvation is not transferable, but it is teachable and we can be a teacher to our little ones so that they might come to know the true and the living God, that they might come to know the Savior who died and rose again for their salvation, that they might see in you, hear in your words and by your actions come to know that Christianity is real because Jesus Christ is real and they can know Him for themselves, just as you know him in your own life. Our greatest responsibility in life as Christians is to the Lord and to his calling. Our greatest responsibility in life as parents is to our families that each and every member of the family will know the Lord and His calling in their life as we know the Lord and His calling in our life. Let's pray together. Father, what an awesome responsibility that You give to us as parents. As we weigh That responsibility in our heart and in our mind, we know that it's an impossible task. We know that it's a daunting task. We know that it is beyond us to be all that we need to be, to do and to say the things that we need to do and say in our homes, in our relationships with family members, so that we can be an effective, a powerful witness for Christ in their lives but I pray, Lord God, that we will be reminded of the examples that you've given to us in Scripture. The example of Eve, the example of Sarah, the example of Hannah, the example of Lois and Eunice, the example of Mary. As well as to remember the examples of our own mothers who've taught us, who've been an example before us of what a mother should be and can be when they are truly devoted to loving and caring for their children. Father, I pray for our women that, Lord, they will not be disheartened by the world that we live in, by the task of raising their children, that they'll not be fearful of the problems and the issues that they face as their children grow older and go through the stages of life. But, Father, that they will stay on their knees before you, praying for wisdom and guidance from your Holy Spirit, that they will stay grounded in your word, reading, meditating upon the truths that you have given to us through this sacred book. That they will counsel with women that they know who are godly women, godly wives, godly mothers, and to learn from them those principles necessary in raising their own children. Thank you. I thank you, Father, for my mother, who has been away from us now for these 35 years, but she is with you, and I rejoice. Knowing, Lord God, that to be absent from the body is to be present with you. And Father, she has received the great reward for being the godly woman that I remember her to be. Bless us as her children that we might continue to honor her in our lives. And by honoring her, we will honor you for giving her to us. Now, Lord God, I pray your blessing upon your people that you will continue to watch over us, protect us from coronavirus, protect us, Lord, from the evil one, protect us from those things, Lord, that would hinder your work in our lives and through our lives to our families so that we may raise up children who will not only call us blessed, but will also bring honor and glory to your name because it's in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, I pray. Amen. I pray that all of you will have a peaceful and a blessed Mother's Day. Thank you.
2: For the moms who raised us up, gave us hope, and made us strong. For the young moms who became moms sooner than expected and gave it all they had. For the single moms who had to figure out how to do this on their own. For those who never got called mom, but who cared for us all like a mom would. For the hurting moms who've loved and lost, but never given up. For the praying moms who don't always know what to do, but always know who to talk to. For the working moms, stay home moms, the cooking moms, and the takeout moms. For taking care of us when you barely had enough time to take care of yourself. For teaching us how to walk and how to make a difference. For the late night snuggles and the early morning pancakes. For sitting with us after our first breakup. For lifting us up when others put us down. For the rides, the meals, the laundry, and the birthday parties. For the years, tears, laughter, and love. It's not enough, but we want to say thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We love you. We honor you. We remember you. We thank you.
0: The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.